When I was a child, my brother, my sister, and I, we would play a Christmas version of cat and mouse with our mom. I don't know if she thought she was really good at hiding Christmas gifts before getting them wrapped, but we seemed to be able to sniff them out every year. Whether it was trying to make our way through her closet or digging under the bed or climbing up into the attic or looking in the trunk of her car, we had that keen ability to find what was going to be waiting for us on Christmas morning. We would hurriedly look in the closet and and maybe find those gifts and rifle through them just to see what awaited us. Oh, I'm getting the football I want. My brother's getting the video game he wanted. And we would then have to do the whole charade of acting entirely surprised when we opened them on Christmas morning. But there was one Christmas where we could not figure out what was coming. No matter where we looked, we couldn't find the spoils that we thought would await us on Christmas. Had mom wised up to what we were doing and she was going to use that Christmas to teach us a lesson where we, you didn't find any gifts because there weren't any gifts. That became a fear that was existing within our hearts. So with a bit of trepidation, we went to bed on Christmas Eve and Woke up early Christmas morning and, 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 and raced downstairs, and I remember, still remember it vividly, my sister and I, we get downstairs first, and all that we find waiting under the Christmas tree is like a, a motorcycle helmet. And we're thinking to ourselves, what is this? We look at it, uh, and you know, we kind of are lifting it up and looking under it, looking around it, looking, like, like looking at each other, like, what, what's going on here? Our mom and dad, like, okay, I'm, I'm not the brightest bulb, uh, what, I can't even make the joke. You see, I'm really not that bright. Uh, uh, I'm not the brightest bulb on the string of lights or whatever. Um, but I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm not real sharp, but I don't think mom wants 10-year-old Stephen to take up motorcycle racing. So I don't think I have a motorcycle waiting on me. And we looked, and we couldn't quite figure it out until we see on the little tag on top of the helmet, on the to and from tag, we see Go Looking Garage. And there we find an off-road go-kart that was waiting for us that Christmas morning. We hadn't been able to find it previously because they had been storing it in my uncle's garage. But here's why I tell you this. It is possible to do Christmas like the McDonald children, where instead of lifting up a a, a helmet, which wasn't a motorcycle helmet, it was a go-kart helmet, but I didn't know any better, but it's possible to lift lift up that helmet or that baby Jesus and look around and and try to peer through and, and see something that you feel like there's part of this story that I'm missing. And so it's possible to have our hearts warmed by the baby Jesus and yet still know that we need to see the reward that is promised in Him. And so this Christmas, I want us to look at Jesus and see that God's heart is our hope. Let me repeat that. Let me say that again. This is very important. This is what I believe Micah 7 has for us. God's heart is our hope. I invite you to follow along as I read just these three verses at the very end of the book of Micah, chapter 7, verses 18 to 20. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity 
and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. God's heart is our hope. So let's see this first by looking at God's heart in verse 18. Throughout the book of Micah, if you were to read through it start to finish, you would find words of warning and judgment against Israel's sin against her God. The people of Israel gave God lip service, but their hearts were far from God. Yet one of the messages of Micah is that though your heart is far from me, my heart is not far from you. In fact, Micah shows us that God, He does not meet His people with a scowl and with the iron fist of a tyrant wishing to crush His people. No, He meets His people with the glad heart of a gracious king smiling upon them. Micah is, has been dealing with and wrestling with these ideas of God's just, justice and God's grace, and he's been holding them in tension and trying to navigate them in his own heart and, and to all the way through the book. And he gets to verse 18, where he ultimately just kind of throws his hands in the air and says, who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. One of the challenges that many of us who are Christians face is we struggle to believe that God truly loves us. We say he loves us, but do we believe he loves us? Precious Christian, look at verse 18. God delights in steadfast love. He does not reluctantly acquiesce in His love for you. He does not say, oh, she really has me hoodwinked. Oh, I wish I could smite her, but I guess I am under obligation to love her. No, God does not wish what He cannot give. He does not hear you pray and roll his eyes and say, oh, him again? All right, hurry it up, pal. Let's make it quick. I've got to be somewhere in a few minutes. No. Micah tells us he delights in steadfast love. Now, you pause and you say, wait, how is this so in light of what Micah says about God's judgment and his anger and these things we see? I mean, you even see it in verse 18. You know, he talks about pardoning iniquity, passing over transgression. He does not retain his anger forever. How are these compatible with this heart that delights in steadfast love? Well, Jesus, whose birth we celebrate, he was the vehicle by which God's perfect, holy justice against our sin is held up, as well as God's resolve to act in love towards us, both of these held up come together not in opposition, but in full compatibility in the perfect, uh, uh, complete nature of God. 
And they are revealed to us in Christ whose birth we celebrate. I want us to dig deeper thinking about this. And then digging deep, we're going to unearth precious jewels about the heart of God that we must have this Christmas morning. Have you ever thought about what God was doing before He created the world and everything in it? With perfect wisdom, infinitely beyond the grasp of our minds, God the Father and God the Son set in place a plan for the fullness of time that Jesus, the Son of God, would come and through His cross purchase our redemption by His blood. This is the covenant of redemption between God the Father and God the Son. God did not see us in, in the bind of our sin against Him that we had brought on ourselves, and he, said, he did not say, oh, I must do something about this, and then hurriedly rummaged through the closet but couldn't find anything. So then he looked over at Jesus and said, hey, pal, you're going to have to take one for the team here. I don't think the cross is going to be that bad. Can you just bear with me on it? No. In the wisdom and love of God that delights in you, the Father and Son made this covenant of redemption before any of us in this world were created that our redemption may be accomplished through the blood of Christ. And now here's why we need this if we're talking about this idea of, of, of God delighting in His steadfast love to us. As Christians, we can see the cross and we can profess, I am redeemed from the curse of my sin, which is absolutely true and absolutely wonderful. But, even deeper, and hang on to this, we can look at Jesus and we can say, God delights in showing me, of all people, me, His steadfast love. Maybe that's what you need to hear. Where you struggle to believe that God loves you, you need to look at Christ and His work Christ who has come, whose birth we celebrate this morning, and you can say He is the evidence that God delights in me. And so we have seen His heart here, I hope. Seen this heart that if you were to prick the finger of God, love would flow out towards you. And so now we ask, how does my hope Stay connected to this heart of God, this steadfast love of God. Think of this illustration. Do you remember back in the book of Exodus, if you're familiar with the Old Testament book of Exodus, Moses wanted to see the Lord. He said, God, if only I could see your face. The Lord told him he could not see his face, but that he would hide him in the cleft of a rock and the glory of the Lord would pass by him. So this is what God did. This is Moses saw just a brief taste of the glory of God. And he had seen that glory. He had spoken with God on top of this mountain. And then Moses comes down from the mountain after having seen this. And what is going on with Moses? He doesn't realize it. Everyone around him sees his face is glowing. Because he has beheld God. And here's why I am so serious about us seeing the heart of God in verses 18 to 20. Your hope in this God will glow like the face of Moses. Not when I tell you God loves you, but when you see His delight in steadfast love. 
So we have seen his heart in verse 18, and now we see our hope in verses 19 to 20. There are two holds, two grips that we can latch our heart to that enable us to hope in God. These verses show us that we can, in verse 19, hope in God's compassion, and in verse 20, hope in His covenant faithfulness. His compassion is not unlike what we read in verse 18, but it's elaborated further in verse 19. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. If I can make a confession before you this morning, as I was writing this sermon, I, as I prepared it, I reached this point in the text where I, I don't know if it was writer's block or, or I don't know what it was, but I got to verse 19 and I said, how do I show this? How do I tell this? How do I communicate this? I could hold it up here uh, uh, like, like I'm trying to showcase something on the prices, right? Like, look, God's compassion. Isn't it lovely? But I don't want you just to see it. I want you to feel it. We talk so much about love, grace, mercy, compassion, that they, in some ways we are so familiar with them that they lose their power. They lose their meaning to our hearts. Almost as if the compassion of God is there to make me feel good, but not with awareness of what the compassion of God does in me. Think of it like this. It is as if we can think of the compassion of God as a warm blanket that covers us when we are cold. But the true compassion of God covers us and makes us warm and invites us out of the cold and into His presence. God's compassion. You see this in verse 19. He'll, compassion, he'll have compassion on us. He'll tread our iniquities or our sins under His foot. He will cast our sins into the depths of the sea. His compassion to you and me is grounded in His unflinching resolve to make us into the Christians, the people that He would have us to be. Said another way, God's compassion is the tool by which He performs surgery on the hearts of His people. It is not the means by which He rubber stamps our lives, go chase your dreams, I am with you and I am compassionate towards you, but no, it's the means by which He does surgery upon us. This is illustrated in a scene from the voyage of the Dawn Treader in the Chronicles of Narnia. If you're familiar with the story, there's a boy named Eustace Scrub. Eustace is selfish, mean, terrible in his treatment of others. But lest we give him a hard time, I'm pretty sure I would act the same way if my name was Eustace. But one day, Eustace thinks that he has found a treasure that will make him rich and powerful able to exact revenge on everyone in his life who has wronged him. But instead, by seizing the treasure that he thinks is all that he wants, Eustace turns into a terrible dragon. The treasure was nothing but a mirage. Eventually, the king of Narnia, Aslan, the lion, appears and he takes Eustace to a pool of water where he tells Eustace to jump in. And then Aslan begins to compassionately scrape the dragon scales off of Eustace's body. Scales come off, they come off, they come off. But to Eustace's horror, there are more and more and more of them underneath him. Eventually, Eustace sees how deep the rot is of this dragon-like nature that has overtaken him. 
And Aslan tells Eustace that he must scrape deeper to the point where it is going to begin to hurt. Eustace said the next scrape felt so deep that he thought Aslan had reached all the way to his heart. But then he began to see that these beastly scales were coming off and he was being turned into a boy again. After all, the dragon scales, naughty and gorish in nature, had been removed. Eustace came out of the water and realized that he was a boy again. He was no longer a ghastly, terrible dragon. God's compassion to you and to me, dear Christian, is of a magnitude that He refuses to allow you or I to become dragons. He takes seriously the work of His compassion to remove our sins and deposit them as far away from us as possible. Even if verse 19 is metaphor, the metaphor is He will deposit them at the bottom of the sea. His compassion is one where He continually sanctifies His people that they may become like that small child who never loses her sense of wonder that the the heart of her Father delights in her. Perhaps this morning as you hear this, you consider yourself a Christian or you don't consider yourself a Christian. But you wonder, what do I make of my life as I evaluate it, the end of 2022? I have hang-ups, I have wrecks, I I, I feel like I'm stuck in some ways, my soul kind of feels torn and tied in knots. The compassion of God is there for you in Christ who has come. And He promises by His compassion to make you new if you will come to Him in faith, if you will allow Him to begin to scrape away those dragon-like scales, He will release your heart from the chains that have so bonded it for far too long. If you'd like to know what it means, like to know more about what it means to follow Christ, whether it's after our service this morning or over reaching out to me via email. My email's on the back of our bulletin. However it is, I would love to speak with you and introduce you to this God who delights in showing steadfast love to you. Now, for as wonderfully as His compassion fills our heart with hope, there is another foothold of His heart that we can also hope in. And that is we look at His covenant faithfulness in verse 20. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Here at the very end of his prophecy, Micah calls to mind the patriarchs of Israel for both his audience and in the kindness of God for us this morning. If you were to look back at Genesis 15, God told Abram to look up and try to count the stars in the sky, basically saying, I will make your heritage, I will make your family as numerous as all of the stars in the sky. What he's trying to do there is he's trying to to dare him to measure God's faithfulness. 
But what does a covenant that God made with Abram have to do with us understanding God delights in us? Well, two things. First of all, covenants were established through a sacrifice. So a a, a sacrifice would be made as a means of formalizing that covenant between God and His people. And then secondly, we need covenants with God. We need to be reminded of His commitment to us when our hearts are not full of warm and fuzzies about the compassion of God. I don't know about you, but every morning to me is not like Christmas morning. There are mornings that are pretty miserable at times. There are mornings that have all the cold of Christmas, but none of the cheer. It is then that my heart might not be able to muster belief in the compassion of God, but what I can do is I can look at Christ who has come and be reminded of the faithfulness of God, which displays His compassion. When you are prone to doubt His compassion, when you need a reminder of His goodness, it is then that we need to look at the covenant that He makes with us. But what we have to understand is His covenant with us It was made with Abram back in Genesis, this covenant made uh, through the sacrifice of an animal. But his covenant with you and I is not through the sacrifice of an animal. It is through the sacrifice of his son. It is Christ who has come that he might be the, 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 the bonds of the covenant between God and us. There's a beautiful scene in a Charlie Brown Christmas where Charlie Brown, who has had a very frustrating Christmas. He's holding his pathetic-looking runt of a Christmas tree that only has a few branches, a couple of ornaments on it, and he's holding that pathetic tree, symbolic of a disheartening Christmas, and he is looking up to the stars, and he is hoping in Jesus who has come. In the thick of disappointments, in the midst of despair, in the, in, the, in, the, in the turmoil of drained emotions, the covenant that God has made with us through Christ enables us to hold on and to hope. Because the blood of Christ tells you and I of God's delight in showing us steadfast love, even when we don't feel it. That is why you need that covenant. You need that covenant to be able to go back and look upon it, to be reminded of when your heart is prone to not believe it. Let us not look at that baby Jesus and fail to see the heart of God in the birth of that baby. No, let us look at Jesus who has come and see that God's heart is our hope.